This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 119. Peace. Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. Yes, we need peace. <laughs> Don't and we? We all need to be voices of peace, not just on the receiving end, but on the proactive. The giving need, end. Yes, yes, of peace in our culture of polarization these days. Yes, if you are listening to this the day that it drops or a few days afterwards, you know, uh, no matter where you are in the world, I think that America is going into the 2020 election, uh, November 3rd. And we really, I know we're Canadian, um, but we've lived in the States for a few years and just have really seen, especially on our social media, just the vast polarization of I'm right, you're wrong. No, I'm right, you're wrong and have really felt helpless right daniel Mm -hmm. yeah and that's why we're so blessed to be able to interview sharon hirsch today on her newest book belonging finding the way back to one another that just released she is a licensed professional counselor an adjunct professor in graduate counseling programs a sought-after speaker and the author of several books including her newest newest one belonging finding the way back to one another so without further ado let's listen in Sharon, welcome to the In Between podcast. We are so, so thankful that you are here with us today. It's great to be with you. Well, by the time this interview goes live, we are actually a few days away from the American 2020 election. And Sharon, in your book, Belonging, which is an incredible uh, title for for this day and time, you mention a survey that states eight out of 10 people feel we are completely hopelessly divided from one another. Daniel, do you feel like we are? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, we feel like we're part of that eight people, yep. that eight people out of mm. 10. Because as we scroll through our social media, um, we've been devastated, honestly, to see many friends claim that, hey, if you don't agree with my political views, you can just unfriend me now because I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. You don't matter to us. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's left us feeling hopeless, uh, heartbroken, and scared to engage with others on anything that could be seen as political because we don't want to we don't want to offend people right and we don't actually want others to cut us out because we like our friends (laughs) so in your book you call this act relational violence can you unpack what relational violence is and what are the impacts of this well i think that we all have experienced what you just described on your social media feed and maybe didn't have a name for Mm. it um Relational violence is when you take your perspective, in this case, your political candidate, but we can also extrapolate this outside of the election within a marriage, in parenting. You take your opinion and it becomes more important than the person you're actually talking to. So you speak in ways that judge others, that 
mock them, that blame them, that points a finger at them, that criticizes them. You call them names. You get defensive. You speak without listening. You know, you're always thinking about what you're going to say. And relational violence always ends up with this tinge of personal offense. Mm. And when you think about being personally offended, which today we're, we're offended by the other political candidates, by the countless advertisements we've already seen, by we're offended by everything. You, you can't talk about anything without it causing some personal offense. And that really means that you've decided you're the judge and your rightness or righteousness has been offended and people owe you an accounting. I mean, there's an arrogance in that that should make us say, ouch, because I don't want to be the judge because I don't want others, like you said, to be the judge of me. I I want a judge that is, um, as the Old Testament says, sets all the world right, Mm -hmm. who sees many things at once, which we as human beings cannot do. Hmm. Why do you find that people are so apt to act like that act like that on social media and say all the things right. we're even talking about a, another article um that came out that that's just it's just how, people are so vicious and so opinionated on social media and I'm like would you actually say that to that person to the to their face yeah like, would you actually <laughs> say like hey if you don't agree with me we're having coffee together if you don't agree with me walk out I want to be your friend yeah anymore. like like what what is it about <laughs> what, what do you think it is about that means that is like is is possibly the means fueling it I, I think it could be I mean and it, we could spend hours talking about technology and social media, but it is a part of our world today. Mm -hmm. And especially in the season of the pandemic, where we're more combined Mm. to technology to communicate with each other. But I believe God created us to be in relationship that is face to face, Mm -hmm. eye to eye, soul to soul. And of course, on social media, I can write someone off without even looking them in the eye. I can call them names and never go back to that interaction again. I don't even need to know what's going on in their lives and I can make judgments about them. So I do think there's something about social media Mm -hmm. that fuels what's going on in this particular season. I also think as we can laugh or cry about the year 2020, whenever we feel out of control, And man, are we out of control right now Mm -hmm. with COVID and weather incidents and uh, the election. And we could list other things, financial realities, family realities. Whenever we feel out of control, we are apt to raise our fists to the sky and say, how dare you? Mm. How dare you make me feel like this? And so what we do is we move from our whole brain. This is the very little neuroscience I know. We move from our whole brain to our left brain Mm -hmm. that analyzes, criticizes, corrects, grandstands. And when we are in our left brain, we cannot be fully present. That's why they call it the paralysis of analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so our, we're not there with our whole hearts. I'm sure you, like me, have done a broadcast where technology goes wrong and you're trying to figure it out while you're still talking to the person and (laughs) you're kind of halfway in the conversation. For sure. sure. That's what most of us are doing. We're halfway in conversations. And so on social media in particular, um, where over 75% of all interactions are relationally violent right now. Wow. 75%. We're not fully present. And I think if we were fully present, we might be curious instead of judgmental. We might be compassionate instead of critical. We might think about our own flaws Mm -hmm. and foibles instead of pointing fingers. Mm. And we might look for the things that we really do have in common instead of the things that divide us. We might feel more of a sense of belonging, mm. which is what I try to write about in the book in, in in trying to find our way back to being together instead of apart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's double click on the relational violence piece because if it's, you know, if it's 75%, I mean, most of us have been on the receiving end right. and we're we've probably been on the giving end of it too. So let's yeah, start let's with the honest. Yeah, so let's start with the receiving end side. Uh when you are a victim of relational violence, how should we respond? Cuz I know for me, my immediate like gut reaction is to just shut it off and to delete it or just get away because I'm like, I can't even deal with this. Oh, that's a good gut reaction. <laughs> term- I'm ready to punch the person in the face. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. Like, so- really? Come on. <laughs> let's get these gloves on. Yeah. So let's talk about the receiving end first and then we can talk about ways we can perhaps okay. not be, uh, you know, violent people <laughs> relationally. <laughs> yeah, I need help, Cher. <laughs> yes. I had an example this weekend where I, I did post something for just conversation on perspective on the election. And it was quite honestly, mostly a very civil and, and good conversation. I probably had maybe about 63 comments. So there were quite a few people that were weighing in Mm -hmm. as it got later and later into the evening. I noticed the comments started to make a little less sense, be a little less civil. And one of the last ones took this, crazy turn and started attacking me and my personal character, assuming what I believed about certain issues, who I voted for, and and kind of this, I told you so, you're going to end up in a place and it's going to be all your fault. Mm. And I, first of all, immediately thought, I'm just going to delete the whole conversation. Mm. But that didn't seem fair to the people that had weighed in with really thoughtful perspective. And there was a debate throughout And then I thought, well, I'll just delete this one person's negative comments about me. And I thought, well, that doesn't really seem fair either. And then I thought, well, I will rip her to pieces (laughs) because the truth is she hurt me. And what happens when someone breaks our heart a little bit is that it actually can become a shard Mm. that we use as a weapon against the other person. Mm. Or our hearts can be broken open in vulnerability. But who really wants that? Exactly. That's hard. (laughs) I I tossed and turned. I woke up once in the night, got up my computer, was going to send her a post at one o'clock in the morning, which is never a good idea, by the way. And then I got up the next morning and 
pulled out my Bible and went to an ancient hymn in Psalm 146 that says, don't put your trust in princes or in any person on earth. Of course, everyone's going to hurt us at some point or another, intentionally or unintentionally. And it says people who live in peace put their trust in God. Their only hope is in him. And so I am trying to learn that I don't have to respond. The question I ask myself whenever I post on social media is, will this add value? And then in face-to-face conversations, which are less likely to be relationally violent, but they can also be in passive-aggressive ways. People walk away. People still don't listen. Um, they threaten, as you said, that we can't be in relationship if you believe you have to wear a mask all the time or if you like pumpkin spice lattes or whatever. Um, it is to remember that this is another image bearer who is probably hurting. Because people who get into that left side of their brain, who are critical, analytical, judgmental, name-calling, are either clinically diagnosed with some sort of pathology like narcissism, Mm -hmm. or they're hurting, and they have not processed the broken pieces of their own heart, Mm -hmm. and so they're using them as weapons. So I I try to remind myself, as Walt Whitman said, to be curious Mm -hmm. and to not lose the sense of who I know I am, want to be in a way. I don't want to be known for who I voted for. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be known for my political party. Even though those things are important in the world we live in, I I want to be known for the one who has loved me unconditionally forgiven me again and again and again and again. And and even when I do blow it, because I I do blow it, Mm -hmm. he still wants me. I, I want to be known for him. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Man, so that's uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not what I wanted to hear, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's what we needed to hear. It is. No, right. no, I love that because, Sharon, you know, you're, you're really helping us take a step back and, and recognize, hey, maybe don't respond immediately when mm-hmm. you've been on the receiving end of relational violence and, and put yourself, place yourself in their shoes. I mean, isn't that what maturity is. I mean, even for our children, right? I mean, it's like time and time again, we're like, hey, can you, like, what would it look like if you place yourself in their shoes and you put yourself and we're experiencing all that they were experiencing and all that. 
would you react differently? Would you would you have actually done the same thing? And it's just to to do that, to not react, but to actually take a step away. And I love the fact that you didn't send that at one AM and, <laughs> and, and you went to the scriptures because God has a way of speaking through the Bible. Mm-hmm. God has a way because it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And it's amazing that when we do take that step back, approach the scriptures, and then relook at it from a place of empathy, right. um, how different of a response we could feel and also give. I think that's the pause that you're talking about. Exactly. Taking that back is so important. And even if we're in a face-to-face conversation, we may have to say things that we don't like to say, but that come out of vulnerability. Like, I don't really know what to say about that. Mm. Or, ouch, that kind of hurts. Maybe we can talk about it after I've thought about it and you've thought about it a little bit. Mm. I think what's happened in this world of 24 hours, seven days a week, information and ability to be in some sort of connection, although it's false often, is that we start to panic and think, I need to respond. I need to say something. I need to answer this. And I think what has saddened me, especially in this election season, is I see many believers um, who are infected by this anxiety, feeling like like the state of Christianity, the cause of Christ, is dependent on this election. Mm-hmm. That it might be dependent on what I say and who I advocate for. And, and that's why I loved that ancient hymn that said, oh, this isn't about you. Mm-hmm. This is about me. Right. Um, and so if we start to believe that the the cause of Christ or whatever causes we are passionate about mm-hmm. are dependent upon another person, You see, the enemy of our soul is brilliant at taking something good, like certain social issues, Mm -hmm. and turning it into an idol, which is something bad. Mm -hmm. It's what we become all about. It's what we have to get our point across about. And so I just was so calmed by those words in the scripture, you'll be at peace if you put your trust in me, Mm -hmm. which means we have to trust in things that we cannot see, that we don't always understand how things unfold, why they unfold, Mm -hmm. that we we really have to entrust ourselves. But think about who we're entrusting ourselves. We're not entrusting ourselves to a politician who might tweet something in the middle of the night that he shouldn't. (laughs) We're, We're entrusting ourselves to the one who gave his son to hang stripped and naked and bleeding on a tree for the love of us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. When we when we understand that, right, and we and we do that pause. It's I I absolutely love this because it it helps us both on when we've received mm-hmm. and been a victim of, and also when we've actually uh, been on the giving end of being violent relationally. Yeah. So. Um, it, it it seems like I mean in in your book you talk a lot about common grace, right? So if we could uh, maybe move to, to that piece, um, because it re- this really is a great to pause, 
in the midst of and and not feel like I have to say everything I'm thinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it, I mean that's that's grace, that's grace. And and but in your book, you talk about this idea of common grace. Uh, do you mind t- talking about that? What do you mean by it, and and how that should and and ought to affect our relationships with one another? And it is so apropos to what we're talking about mm. because. Tim Keller defines common grace as a desire on God's part to bestow blessings on all human beings, regardless of their beliefs. You see, God is not like us. He doesn't require that we agree with him for him to love us. He wants to bless this, to bless us and to bless um, our world and we're the ones that get in the way of that and mess that up. But mm-hmm. if, if common grace is true, then that means every person, every conversation, every interaction in person or on social media can be a cause to reveal grace mm-hmm. that we want to give welcome and worthiness to all. I tell a story in the book that is really not about politics, but maybe can unite us all that we all suffer from the same condition. I was in the line one day at a bagel store in my town and I was on my way to work. And so of course I was busy and important and in a hurry and the line was moving so slowly. And I was tapping my foot and looking at my watch and making these, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I looked at the man behind me who, he looked busy and important. I mean, he had on a suit and polished wingtips shoes. Mm -hmm. I I thought surely he would understand. And so I kind of muttered under my breath, you'd think they could have more than one person working right now. And he surprised me very kindly. He said, well, I think this might be her first day. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. But I did not pick up on his cue. And I said, well, then the, you'd think they would have other people there helping her. <laughs> at the and, and so I continued to tap my foot and make all those little grunting sounds that are so attractive to people. <laughs> and then this man did the most surprising thing, which I, we need surprises like this in our world today desperately. He jumped over the counter and he said to her, it looks like you could use a little help. What would you like me to do? Oh, whoa. And as I watched him, you know, kind of get bagels and talk to people in line and ease the impatience that others like me felt, I thought, wow, if there's any person in this line who is hungry for more than bagels, like we are in this day, hungry for kindness, for connection, for understanding, for grace. Who do you think they'd talk to? Hmm. Me? (laughs) Or or this man who now had cream cheese smeared on his fancy suit, but who was offering common grace? Yeah. Well, Sharon, I think I'm like you. <laughs> that I would be that that huffaloo, I guess you could say. I I want to dive a little bit deeper into this story because I do see that how it can be reflected upon our, our state today. So if we can jump into your mind for a second, why did you turn to that man and sort of want him to be on your side? Like you wanted him to be like, Yeah, this is this is awful and sort of join you in that in that party. Great question. 
because I think I lost my sense of who I was. I thought I was busy. I was important. Um, It's always a code word when we say we're busy that we think we're more important than other people. Mm -hmm. And because of the way he looked, you know, he was dressed nice. He had on a suit, businessman, obviously. I thought, well, he's like me. And this is what we do in this polarized time is we look for people who will agree with us, who will like us on social media. Uh, we look for people who will get into group think with us. And so we don't have to be challenged with how mean we can be, how petty we can be, how far we can get from that most difficult verse in the Bible that says, we love, and I hate this next word, it's two letter word, we love as we have been loved. Mm-hmm. Instead, we look for people who are as us in opinion, in socioeconomic demographic, in race, in religious beliefs. And that does not stretch us too much. It does not give us an opportunity to reveal the brilliance of the gospel, which is to love people who are different than us. Mm -hmm. In this whole environment, outside of common grace, We forget what we're fighting for because there is a fight going on, but it's a fight for people, not against people. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Thank you for your honesty there. uh, Because I think, yeah, this is uh, the, the word that keeps on just jumping out to me throughout this entire conversation is that we need to be intentional. Mm-hmm. We need to be intentional to pause. We need to be intentional to show grace. We need to be intentional not to be a victim of uh, of, of groupthink, mm-hmm. right? And just going along with the tide of our culture because if we do so, we can be a portrayer of the polarization that exists. And it's, it's, it's we, as a society, we're not coming closer together. We're being pushed further away from each other and like, like, like no other time. Right. So, um, I would love for you, Sharon, to just give us some words of wisdom as to how we can be a voice of peace in this culture that just, it, it, I don't know, it almost seems to pride itself in polarization. Yeah. I'm so glad that you asked that. I I think even after the election, maybe even more so, we're going to have to deal with this issue of not pointing our finger and saying, see where I ended up because of what, who you voted for. Um, Because God does not set this world up for any of us to run smoothly. Have you noticed? (laughs) If you didn't notice 2020, yeah, yeah, now you do. (laughs) Now we know, because I I think that he does not want us to be in control. He wants Mm -hmm. us to trust him. And and so I think to be a voice of peace is exactly what you just said. We have to do be intentional and do a little work. Mm -hmm. We have to move from this place of guardedness, of woundedness, of weariness, and we're all weary, into a place of vulnerability. And that requires that we do some work, that we do look at our own hearts and know I can be defensive. I can be 
unrealistic. Mm. I can be passionate about what I believe and not listen to what the other person is saying. And so if we really start to believe in common grace and anticipate every conversation with every person, whether it is a 13-year-old who's on Snapchat all the time and um, we think she's not thinking a serious thought in her head or it's our spouse who we don't agree with even within our own families or it's a friend or someone at church or in our small group who happens to be on the other side. You know, it's about 50-50. And so that means half of the people around me don't agree with me. So if I'm going to anticipate every interaction to reveal something about whose I am, the God who loves unconditionally and doesn't need me, but he wants me, Mm -hmm. um, then I have to do some work beforehand. And that allows us to not feel like, okay, I've got to cram my rightness down someone's throat. In fact, Peace is about taking our hands off of someone's throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's knowing that we may believe some things that we really know are right, but sometimes what we know gets in the way of what we need to learn. Mm-hmm. Like I probably was right at the bagel shop; it was probably mismanaged, <laughs> but. You know, God was tapping me on the shoulder just as clearly as that man was offering help to that beleaguered bagel worker and say, Sharon, this is a time for you to learn. Do you want to live in peace or in war? Mm -hmm. I think most of us would say we want to live in peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love what Mother Teresa said, that if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to one another. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so we belong to one another. What does that mean? It, it means that I care about people who are oppressed and hungry mm-hmm. and addicted in bondage about those who right now are just so worn out and weary because they're homeschooling and working and trying to figure out what's for dinner all in one day. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) That I want to care for the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the lonely. And I think that if I realize, oh, wait, I'm all those things. Mm -hmm. I've been oppressed at times. Not seriously, but in my own small ways where I tap my foot and get impatient. Mm-hmm. I've been hungry. I've certainly been addicted. Part of the story I tell in my book, Belonging, is of my struggle with alcoholism. And it has been people who have shown me grace, mm-hmm. kindness, compassion that have led me to freedom. I, I mean, think about the last time you got into a debate about anything, the Bible, politics, and you left feeling loved and wanting to talk about the love of God. Mm. (laughs) That just doesn't happen. And so we have to decide that we want more 
than to be right. There is a high, high cost to being right. Mm -hmm. And that is that we experience deep emptiness and deep loneliness. Because there's only one who is all right, and it's not us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We are prone to errors. And so I think there's the humility of knowing we all suffer from the same condition. We all really do want to be heard and seen and known and loved, but I can't offer that to you if I have not experienced that myself. And if I'm waiting for the people at the bagel shop or in my small group at church or in my family to love me perfectly like that so that then I can love other people. It's never going to happen. That's why we turn to the one who rescues us, who is our love story, and who designs everything in our lives to make us dependent on him. Now, some people are listening and think, well, that makes me mad because I want to be able to trust myself Mm -hmm. and depend, be independent, Mm -hmm. or I want to trust the party that's in charge of our country. That's all an illusion. (laughs) If if we think that some person needs to come along and save us, or we have to save ourselves with ourselves, Mm -hmm. that get ourselves into these messes in the first place, we are in trouble. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I do not agree with what I call the Oprah-ism, that everything I need is within me. In order to be a voice of peace in this culture, I must go to a power greater than myself, to a voice that is still Mm. in turbulent waters, um, to one who calms my anxious heart. And it does not always give me what I want, but does always give me what I need. And as I cultivate that relationship with him, then I'm able to learn to speak other people's languages. Hmm. Um, in other words, no matter what their political party or their lifestyle choice, it, it's not about me getting my point across. It is about, as Billy Graham said years ago, just do two things, love God and love people. That should bring us a sense of peace, but if it was easy, we would have done it by now. <laughs> This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. 
True. Yeah. Oh, Sharon, I love how everything you were saying um, is just really, you know, it's going to take some time of reflection. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's enough just to listen to this podcast as much as your words have been so filled with wisdom and um, so many things for us to do. I don't think we can just listen to it and be like, okay, so here I go. I'm going to be on social media. I am going to show people common grace. I am not going to be relationally violent when somebody is relationally violent to me. I am just going to take a break and read the Psalms and wake up the next day and say nothing. (laughs) I really think that this is uh, perhaps a a little bit of a prompt to maybe just take a pause, perhaps even... uh, you know, podcast family, you're thinking, I don't know how to do this. So maybe I need to take some time away from social media, even as we're on the cusp, right, of the elections. Maybe I don't need to be there in social media. Maybe I can love others who are around me. Maybe I can show people that they belong, that we all belong to each other by just showing common grace, you know, as you get your pumpkin spice latte, as you help your children get ready for school, as you, you know, uh, drive to work (laughs) in traffic, you fill in the blank podcast family. Maybe that's something that you can do uh, even as, even as we get ready for the election. So uh, Sharon, for our last question, I just wanted to bring up something because you talk about common grace. And then in your last chapter of your book, you talk about practicing resurrection and living in the unexpected grace. So what does that look like? And, and really, how do we do it? Well, practicing resurrection is a phrase that comes from the philosopher and writer Wendell Berry. As I think about it in this season, and outside of this season, when we live in our real families with our spouses who don't put the toilet paper on right or squeeze the toothpaste right, and with our children who don't do their math homework and spend too much time on social media, or with our elderly parents who are confused and disoriented, mm-hmm. what does it look like to be Easter men and women? Women who believe we do know the end of the story, and it's not this election, thank God. <laughs> the the story is when we will be face to face, eye to eye, soul to soul with the God of the universe. Um, Thank goodness we do not vote for king. Mm -hmm. And the king of all the earth is the one who brings us peace. That's what the book of Ephesians says, that Jesus died to become our peace, to tear down the dividing walls. Mm -hmm. So if we believe in that good news, and we're living with divided walls and not in peace, that's where we need to return. But just some practical things for practicing resurrection might be right now, before November 3rd, let go of the results of the election. Mm. The quality of your life is not dependent on them. It is dependent on the King. Mm -hmm. Believe that the world will be saved by Jesus. And then I think this year where we've had time at home with our spouses and our families all the time, or when we've been confronted with being out of control and been more restless and agitated because of this very volatile election, um, we need to confront our prejudices about those we don't understand or who are different from us. We need to learn another language. As I said earlier, I think of my adult daughter who right now in 17 degree weather here in Colorado is campaigning for a Senate candidate that I 
would not support, who was very progressive, and this is her job. Hmm. And in some ways, we speak very different languages. And I learned a few years ago in a really tough time that if my goal was to get her to speak my language, it was going to end in disaster. Hmm. That as believers, as mature believers, we're in a better position to love than a lot of people mm-hmm. because we have experienced that unconditional love of God. Mm. So I can learn her language and be interested in what she's doing and be able to talk about the issues that she cares about and why she cares about them. So that means I must push past apathy, which we're all feeling a little bit right now. Like, who cares? Let's just get this over with. <laughs> Push past apathy to kindness. Mm. Uh, You know, we started out this program talking about relational violence, which keeps us in the left side of our brain where we're not fully present. So when I start analyzing, defending myself, wanting to go point by point Mm -hmm. and point out how people are wrong, I have to say to myself, kindly, I hope, Sharon, come on back. Be here. Mm Be with people now. Be curious. Ask about their stories. Remember, we're not fighting against people. We're fighting for them. That's a place to start. Mm -hmm. I I love in that ancient hymn that I was talking about, Psalm 146. I think if, if we're feeling kind of empty and alone and like we don't really belong, I, I think that hymn gives us the antidote where it says, okay, go care for these people who maybe are on the margins of your life. Mm-hmm. And God's intention is that they be in the four walls of our homes. Hmm. That's incredible. Sharon, thank you so much for uh, your time together and for just your incredible insight into each of these issues that I know many of it while we were talking directly um, with application toward the election. But I know even post, if you're listening to this after the election, you'll see uh, that polarization is not going to stop once that election is finished. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for today and also for writing Belonging, uh, your newest book, Finding the Way Back to One Another. So uh, podcast family, we definitely encourage you to pick this one up, uh, get it on Kindle or wherever books are sold um, to pick up a copy. But uh, if our family, our podcast family wants to get in touch with you, Sharon, what's the best way for them to learn more about your book and uh, yeah, and, and about you? Well, first of all, thank you for having this conversation. I, I really don't mean to sound dramatic, but I think our world is literally dying mm. for the need of some of the things we've talked about today. Yeah. And people can reach me. I do have a website that's simply my name, Sharon Hirsch, and Hirsch is spelled H E R S H. If you like chocolate, it's like Hershey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love it. <laughs> and it's SharonHirsch.com. I am on social media. And although I think I might take your advice and take a little break from it over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I I do hope that people pick up the book Belonging. I think really outside of my own wisdom and control, God allowed this book to come for a time like this, Mm -hmm. not really because of me, but because the world is desperate for 
peace. And peace only comes from one prince. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the prince of peace, mm. um, Jesus. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. So like Sharon said, we want to encourage you to go on over to her website. I love it. Hershey. SharonHersh.com. And for all the links to today's show notes, as well as a link to her newest book, Belonging, just go to inbetween.org slash episode 119. All right. So next week, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be continuing our conversation about adult friendships and taking it to class 201. All right, we'll catch you next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.